Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. We are offering three conversations from this week's review of the Global Liver Institute's U.S. Nash Action Plan. This conversation is sponsored with a grant from Magical Pharmaceuticals. Magical Pharmaceuticals is leading the field of Nash therapeutic development with resmeteram, a thyroid receptor beta agonist with potential to address both the liver pathophysiology and fibrosis caused by Nash. In this conversation, the entire group, Stephen Harrison, Louise Campbell, GLI Director of Global Policy, Andrew Scott, Magical Pharmaceuticals co-founder, CMO, and President of Research and Development, Rebecca Taub, Central Virginia VA Health System Chief of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, Michael Fuchs, and I, share thoughts on the importance of health systems taking a multidisciplinary approach to diagnosing NAFLD and NASH and treating it, and then the messages and forms of communication that will be necessary to drive this change. International NASH Day is a day for all of us to recommit to improving treatment of NASH. In the U.S., GLI's NASH Action Plan lights the way, and outside the U.S., it provides guidance to advocates on how they can proceed in their own countries. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. that the events of International NASH Day are over, join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Dr. Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, pricing and forecasting guru Roger Green, and this week's guests, Madrigal Pharmaceuticals co-founder, CMO and President of Research and Development Becky Taub, Central Virginia VA Health System Director of Hepatology and Key Opinion Leader Dr. Michael Fuchs and Global Liver Institute Director of Policy Andrew Scott as they discuss GLI's U.S. NASH Action Plan today on Surfing the NASH Tsunami. I think what we are doing is looking from a you know, more whole health aspect when we talk about the patient. We just don't look only at liver enzymes or fibro scan. We also look at their cardiovascular risk and put it all together and teach the patient. Our, our experience is that's how you get the attention of the patient and also the willingness to make a change in their life. But what I want to also add is that I think, again, the, the VA is probably leading here, at least in the U.S., by, you know, having come up uh, under the uh, leadership of Tim Morgan to put together a consensus recommendation for the diagnosis and management of an FLD in a multidisciplinary approach. And even if this is not a guideline that is mandated to follow, it clearly, you know, will raise the awareness among all stakeholders within the VA. And it also defines a path how to diagnose NASH without a biopsy, because we clearly cannot biopsy everyone who we think has NASH. So I think this document is very helpful. And even if I would have liked to see a clear statement that diabetics should be screened, I think we are getting there. I actually had a, a question or would like to have a comment from Andrew, and that is related to that VA in general, even after having recognized the necessity to address NFLD and, and coming up with those consensus recommendations, VA basically follows the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force with regard to guidelines. They don't follow necessarily ASLD or ESA guidelines. So how can the Global Liver Institute help put this on the radar of the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force? That's a great question, Michael. You know, we actually have 
been actively advocating with USPSTF to make some of these recommendations. Most importantly, we saw recently the release, and this happened in April, and this again kind of goes towards some of our, touching on some of those recommendations within the action plan, but the USPSTF released recommendations for screening for patients with obesity for type 2 diabetes. Within those recommendations, disappointingly, they did not mention NASH or fatty liver disease. And while we understand that that was not necessarily the intention of this specific screening statement from USPSTF, it is very important, as we clearly mentioned, that the most at-risk population is type 2 diabetes. And having a conversation with that population of their risks for fatty liver disease and NASH is critical. So we sent a letter. We're still actively working with USPSTF, but we sent a letter with the broad liver advocacy community and support, including ASLD, AGA, the Endocrine Society, and more in support of this letter, stressing to the United States Preventative Services Task Force to include fatty liver disease and NASH in an update to this statement. Thankfully, that statement is only a draft, so we could see this positive result soon, but we continue actively working with them. And then obviously, a next step would be an actual specific NASH screening recommendation from the USPSTF, but that is very much in our plans for the future. Thanks for the question, Michael, and thanks for the answer, Andrew. We're close to the end of our time today. I'd like everyone to comment on a four-word phrase in the action plan, and then after that, we'll go on to our closing question. The four-word phrase is in the fourth initiative statement, the one we haven't really covered yet, and describes, and I'm quoting, poor health system preparedness, end of quote. I'd like each of you to comment on a way in which the health system is not prepared today to deal with the coming onslaught of NASH patients and steps that you personally are taking or supporting in your country, your job, your home state, wherever, that will help us deal with this pandemic a little better. Brave one, go first. I'll answer the question because obviously I'm across the pond. Uh, We have the British Liver Trust, which is a fantastic organization here that's linking very heavily now um, as they go forward with diabetes and obesity, which is great to see. But I think one of their priorities for the next three or four years is to improve early detection so that more people are given information and diagnosed early at a stage where it can be reversed. And I suppose one of the reasons I left healthcare was to achieve exactly that. With the only independent provider of Fibroscan services, you just buy us in and we do everything for you and walk away to gain that. But we've also opened lifestyle clinics so anybody has the right now to get early awareness of their liver. And every Everybody we have introduced this to who is not a patient and just normal people absolutely engage with it and love it. And in fact, probably about a third of those people have fatty livers. They have normal soft livers. So it's very, very interesting, the engagement of people to awareness of their liver outside of healthcare, because the rest of us here come from predominantly healthcare, diagnosed patients who are the minority of people at risk, and they're the lucky few. They're going to get help. My whole aim was to develop increased access and awareness. So I'm trying to help that and the British Liver Trust. But it's really, really key when the third biggest killer of people in the working population in the United Kingdom is liver disease. We need to start screening for it. It's just unbelievable from my perspective that we're not screening routinely. So examples like NASH Day and the work that's being done for this document is absolutely fantastic because it adds strength to the British Liver Trust. It adds strength to the International Coalition and GLI are leading from the front. So that's how I'm trying to help Um, in the UK. Thanks, Louise. Other thoughts? I would just come back to what Stephen said, where we still have uncertainty as far as giving the patient a clear diagnosis and then a clear response as to whether that patient has responded, as to whether that patient has gotten better. And until we're closer, and, and I don't think 
the liver biopsies is in any way a solution to that. But I do believe that primary care physicians, all the other people that were trying to engage the patients themselves, they don't want to hear, well, you might have NASH, but I'm not sure. And you might have gotten better, but I'm not sure. So if we could come to a point where we're of confidence, first of all, in the, in the diagnosis, I think that will help many of the steps in this process. Great. Michael, Stephen? Just further to, to Becky's comment. You know, we can preach all day long and educate all day long to primary care. But let's be honest, in the U.S., those docs are, are work to the bone. I mean, you know, I, I, I was trained as an internist myself, and I quickly moved into gastroenterology because I wanted to focus my effort on one particular aspect of medicine. And then I honed that down even further into liver disease and even further into fatty liver. And I take my hat off to these guys that see just a wide variety of disease every day in clinic and and are only given 15 to 20 minutes at most to see these people and to manage all of their metabolic comorbidities, not to mention everything else that's going on with the patient from psychiatric illness to orthopedic illnesses to pulmonary, renal, you you name the, the organ system. It's a lot to do and still come across as being being caring and compassionate and looking at your patient rather than typing on a computer. And so we have to make it palatable from a, a legislative perspective as well as from a, a guidelines perspective for these people to to want and to take the time out of that 15 or 20 minutes to ask or focus on liver disease. And whether that's making it a HEDIS measure, whether that's making it a, a better reimbursable situation for them, that we need to do that. Because otherwise, I don't think we're going to get widespread utilization of how to do this appropriately. We'll, we'll have pockets that are engaged and others that aren't, and we won't reach the critical mass that we need to really drive this disease in a positive direction. I mean, just look at COVID as a great example. How many people did we need to vaccinate before we bent the curve? How many people are we going to need to treat for fatty liver until we bend the curve away from the data that Arun Sanyal published a couple years back? looking at the rate of increasing incidence uh, from 2015 to 2030 in decompensating liver disease, 168% increase. Liver cancer, 137% increase. Liver death, 168% increase, all as a result of fatty liver. It's going to take quite a bit to bend that curve. So that's just my thoughts. Yeah, uh, I fully agree with Stephen. And going back to how we can get primary care on board with the limited time they have and how do we educate them without asking them to, to add a another hour module to go through the electronic training that probably every healthcare system has. So I really would like to develop together, hopefully with the support of the Global River Institute and you, Roger, to really develop new tools to you know, engage a primary care provider in identifying patients with MAFLD, make it more, so to speak, fun for them and not just another bullet point on their list to address. And then hopefully if we are successful, expand it to a national level, at least in the VA, and then potentially to other healthcare systems. That, thanks, Michael. That's great. I have a quick comment and then a quick one-sentence wrap-up question for everybody. My quick comment is this, that the other thing we can work on are the numbers behind the metrics, and that will wake up primary care and everybody else. Becky mentioned early on liver enzyme tests showing 
showing that 85% of the patients with advanced fibrosis in their trials are relatively close to normal, upper limit of normal level on the liver enzyme tests. I've said this on the podcast before, cholesterol treatment in the U.S. got serious when they stopped treating the upper limit of normal as the top 5% of the population and got down to a much lower level at which it was clear toxicity was increasing. With that as a thought, one sentence lightning around closing question. One thing you can do in the next six months that will conform with what we've been talking about and the action plan today. Stephen, I know you got to jump. If you're still here, let me let you go first. I think the next six months where we can galvanize just like we're doing on this podcast today, where we have representatives from industry, we have patient advocacy, we have academic, really all we're missing is society representation. But I guess that potentially could be me from a, a NAFL special interest group and, and Michael as a, a member of that as well. We just need to have more of these conversations and translate these conversations to people like Andrew that can take this to the Hill and, and we can begin to deliver a cohesive message where we're all united, tackling first education and awareness. And as Becky mentioned, getting to an agreement on diagnosis is really going to be critical. So I'll uh, I'll stop there. Well, thanks, Stephen. And thanks for joining us this week. Becky, if you're ready, why don't you go next? I don't have anything additional to add. I agree with what everyone's saying that we need clarity about the diagnosis and about the importance of NASH relative to the other diseases that virtually all of these patients have. These these are patients with a variety of metabolic disease and where NASH fits in their their overall health and well-being. And making that point uh, clearly, I think, will be critical. Well, that's great. And thank you for joining us today. And also thanks for your sponsorship of this episode and your increasing involvement and support of uh, GLI on a whole bunch of levels. Michael, you want to go next? Sure. So circling back to what Andrew discussed and outlined, I would really like to focus in the next six months working together with the GLI, Andrew and Donna, and to have U.S. champion for NAFLD established in the state of Virginia. That would be a major step forward for Virginia. I'm looking forward over the next six months to seeing the GLI, obviously International National Day, and some of the World Health Organization stuff that's going to be added to that. It seems to be getting a lot more traction and I'm really excited by that so I'd like to see where that's going in the next six months. Thank you Andrew. Thank you yeah I mean really I can I can echo a lot of what has already been said but I think specifically from my perspective a major success would be getting the Nash Care Act reintroduced so that would be a huge win kind of more broadly using all that you have all said today as experts and using the community voice you know having GLI act as a conduit that microphone to kind of get this cohesive message that we've discussed whether it's through our action plan or through other means, you know, kind of building support broadly, looking abroad as well outside of the United States, working with other plans over there, the Wilton Park Initiative and others, thinking about collaboration so that as a community, we can address this problem. And I think GLI, that's really my goal going forward, is ensuring the GLI acts as that kind of conduit to coalesce the community and address NASH. So, so Andrew, thanks for that and for coming to join and lead the conversation today. The only thing I think I would add, I was struck by Stephen's comment about 
about HEDIS. And as you talk about the things the government could do in the Nash Cares Act, and I don't know, I haven't seen the act itself, but we need some way to standardize the importance of doing this. And if that's in the act, great. And if not, then we should start thinking about what we can do to support including standards in things like HEDIS to, to that end, because I think that will be an important step. You know, they say that uh, people do what's inspected, not what's expected. So getting some inspection on this topic would be great. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back on Wednesday, June 16th with our second preview episode for Digital ILC 2021. We will have U.S. and European opinion leaders will be part of the Congress coverage team. They are with us at that point at that time. We will be back on Wednesday, June 16th with our second preview episode of Digital ILC 2021. We will have U.S. and European opinion leaders will be part of our Congress coverage team. They're with us. I hope you join us then. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.